Otherwise, we'll just be here in this stupid old store. <laughs> Nobody loves us. I agree that you are officially live well, on Facebook. Let's see. Yeah, you're right. I am live. Live and direct. Good to see you, Jesse. How are you? Better now that you're here. Well, I'm better now that you're here. So, should we go with this uh, title, or you want to? What do you think? Should I love we? This title. All right. Yeah. I was going to say we could just have a discussion, or we we can do as you like. You like more like than good? Oh, that's good. Okay. Good. <clears throat> uh, before I go, um, before I really get into it, today is the uh, anniversary of the disappearance of Shiva Prabhupada. So, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's one of those days, it's got a, it's kind of, it's bittersweet to me. So I like to think about it and I like to not talk a whole lot about it. And I like to kind of do want to praise Srila Prabhupada, but, you know, it's, um, but I'll share with you, um, Yeah. Where were you? It's like people say, where were you when Kennedy was shot? You know, so what was I doing? Um, we had uh, known for a long time that Srila Prabhupada was going to leave. <clears throat> and so I was uh, in New York at our New York temple. And I had uh, a group of uh, folks with me. This is 1977, this time, 1977. I believe the actual date was November 17th, if I'm not mistaken, uh, 1977. So one of the people that was with me, I had brought up from Knoxville, Tennessee. One of them is, uh, after all these years, has decided he's finally going to take initiation. Okay. So, but he was with me then. And... Um, he wanted to take initiation, but then Prabhupada left. Then he wanted to take initiation from Tamal Krishna Maharaj, but he drug his feet. And Tamal Krishna Maharaj left. And so many years have gone by and many, many changes in his life and whatever. Now uh, he's decided, I, I don't know what I've been doing all my life. I need, I want to be your disciple. I feel like I've always been your disciple. I'm, I, we say we made somebody a devotee. We didn't really do that. That's the term we use, but I met him in, uh, in Knoxville, 1975 or 76. Um, anyway, I'd written an article in the local newspaper and he saw it and, hunted me down and started coming to my Sunday feast program and he became a devotee. So, so here he is. So anyway, he was with me. <coughs> and uh, his name was Jayananda. So uh, we were leaving New York going to Harrisburg and I had started a temple in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. So we had a little building there, uh, a nice altar, and uh, I had a set of Gordy Thai deities. My personal deities were there. So we're on our way from New York City to um, 
Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And then it's going to spend a day or two there and then go on out to the Keatonaugery Farm and then go on down to Tennessee like that. So it was a, a soup, just a really cold. Hmm. What do you call it when they mix snow and rain? Sleet. Sleet, yeah. So it was uh, one of those kind of nights, you know, New York City was just, uh, and you know, the traffic was horrible. Everything was inauspicious. And so uh, when I pulled up at the Harrisburg uh, Temple, uh, Burijan Prabhu, does anybody here know Burijan? Have you heard of Burijan? You know, he came walking out and uh, he was, he lived at Gitanagari at the time. He and I had spent a lot of time together. And, but he was in Harrisburg and he came walking out and as soon as I pulled in, and I just could tell by the look on his face, wow, this is not good. And so I rolled down the window and I said, what? And he just stared at me and I thought, oh, you know, Prabhupada's left. And so that was one of those moments. He said, maybe you all should come inside. And so yeah, we went inside and we just had uh, a sweet kirtan for hours and hours, and maybe even all night long. And so Jainanda had to get back to Tennessee. So somebody took him to the airport sometime and he got on a flight and he couldn't go back with me. So it changed everything. So uh, it changed all of our plans. So. Uh, that was the completion of uh, Prabhupada's uh, presence, physical presence on the planet. So, uh, but his presence still goes on today. Prabhupada is, is as with us, if not more with us, than he ever was, you see. Um, physical presence with a spiritual master is not required, you see, if you have this connection, soul-to-soul uh, -soul connection, then the guru is always present by his instruction. It's an eternal relationship. So it's not, it's, it's very nice if we can get direct association from the spiritual master, but when he's not there, then it's uh, sometimes even sweeter. So, Srila Prabhupada uh, gave us his physical presence uh, and he gave us his physical affection. Prabhupada is very affectionate. Uh, and that's still here today. So uh, this is what we are trying to distribute. We're trying to distribute this affection that comes from the Guru through the disciplic succession from the Guru it's coming from Krishna. And so we were having a little discussion last night. I brought some things over uh, to uh, Radha Sundari's house. Did you go looking at the stuff over there? Yeah, Mother Michelle? I no, I didn't. I didn't know there was stuff over there. Oh, well, you've got to go. Okay. Uh, these uh, wealthy Indians. Uh, Indian devotees and, uh, and just Indians in general 
in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, they gave me tons of uh, really, really nice uh, clothing, you know, devotional clothing. And I mean, it's like way first class. They're wealthy people. And so some of them like to go shopping for the sake of shopping. And they never wear it, but they just, the thrill is to be able to see something and go, oh, I love that, I gotta have it. And they tell their servant, or take that. And then when I come through town, they give it to me, they can bring and give it to you. So, most of it, I don't think has ever been worn, but we look at it, so. Um, yeah, uh, this connection that we're talking about, uh, and we're going to talk about it a little bit tonight. Um, uh, this connection, this soul-to-soul -soul connection, is something that most, practically speaking, everyone in the material world, they don't really know it exists. It's kind of like a fairy tale. So, and I'm talking about transcendental love. Transcendental love is a is a, a touching of two souls, you see. Uh, regardless of whatever the bodily thing is that's going on, uh, there's a, it's a, it's a uh, let's call it, I guess the common word that people like to use is a bonding, the bonding of two souls. So it's not a bonding of two people. That happens. And then it get, they get unbonded. Uh, love in the material world, it comes, and then it goes. If it comes and it goes, it's temporary. Things that are temporary are material. Things that are spiritual are eternal. So things not related to the body uh, are transcendental, soul to soul. So this connection is an eternal one. So Prabhupada delivered to the world this uh, affection coming from Krishna. Krishna is affectionate, you see. So what do we do when we get this? This most wonderful gift of a bonding between souls. We go out and we give it to those that we encounter, you see. So that's what we're, we do. We, we bond soul to soul. And this is called distri distribution of Krishna consciousness. This is what you do in the liberated stage. You bond, you see. Well, actually, you simply realize that you're bonded, you see? So, and we're going to talk about it uh, in a verse tonight. One of the verses that I'm going to talk about is bonding. How are we bonded with God? Some people think, oh, how can I do that? Because it seems so difficult. Well, you already are. <laughs> so Krishna says that uh, every living entity is eternally my fragmental part. Now, that's not bonding. I don't know. It's just like, you know, my fingers are bonded with me, aren't they? 
So never was there a time in this body that my fingers were not. So Krishna says, eternally, the living entities are my fragmental parts. You just forgot it. So Krishna consciousness means that we awaken this dormant consciousness of being part of, bonded with, this uh, Supreme Krishna. I mean, that, that is the ultimate goal. That's what we are trying to do. We're trying to realize. We're not trying to bond with Krishna. We're trying to bond our consciousness back to our position with him. But we are bonded. So uh, one of the ways to realize that is to bond with the spiritual master. You bond with the spiritual master, you get a taste because he's bonded with his spiritual master who's bonded with his and all the way back to Krishna, this bonding of soul to soul, <clears throat> which doesn't have a, a duration of time. It doesn't begin and it doesn't end, this bonding with Krishna. So anyway, uh, I say all this just to say that uh, I've had people ask me, do you miss Prabhupada? And uh, factually, no. I don't feel that he's gone. Uh, for a while there, I felt disappointed that I wouldn't see him when he toured the United States next year. Or when I went to India that following year, I wouldn't get to see him. So, but Prabhupada is, is present in his books. Prabhupada says, I put the best of myself in my books. If you want to know Prabhupada, read his, pur his purports, read his books. He put the best of himself. So uh, he's still here. He's still more than available. All we have to do uh, is realize that everything that's going on in this ISKCON is something that he brought and he gave to us. So, and we're wanting to preserve it as he gave it to us and give it to, to the next generation, hoping they will preserve it and give it to the next generation and so on and so on. You see. So, um, all right. So is it okay if I not talk anymore about Prabhupada's disappearance? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. What would be a good book to read to just learn more about his life? You know, I, mm. like a biography. Or... Lila Rita. Lila Rita. Yeah. Okay. The Lila Rita's in like five sections. Satyarup Goswami wrote a, a nice, uh, this guy, it's a story of his life. And then uh, many of my god brothers have written down their experiences traveling with Prabhupada. Yeah. Um, Bori John Prabhu, he wrote the next. I haven't read it yet, but Yeah, I My Glorious Master. Master. Yeah. Bori John Prabhu. Uh, there are several of them. Mother, you, Mother Yamuna's book. She was close with Prabhupada and she's written two volumes of her association. Prabhupada was very affectionate with her. You know, she was uh, close. She did a lot of close service with, with Srila Prabhupada. So you can get a taste of what it was like to be with Prabhupada. 
some of these writings. So I highly recommend it. I've been reading the Leland Rita and it's pretty incredible. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. You know, everything about Prabhupada is completely amazing. And by amazing, I mean, it causes your mind to stop for a minute and you have to try to process it. You know, you always wonder, you know, wow, what are you? So, not a man of this world. So, but, you know, I would start with the Lilamrita. You'd love it. So, if I were you, I'd get the, I'd own the whole five volume set. Okay. You know, it's just something nice to have. And then there are these other ones that have come along. Shruti uh, Kirti has written a nice book. Shruti Kirti was Prabhupada's personal aide for at least two years. And um, he wrote down his experiences traveling around the world with Prabhupada for a couple of years. It's incredible. <laughs> is that what is the difficulty? Is that, huh? is that what is the difficulty? Is that I'm sorry, I can't remember the name. I think that might be, yeah. Yeah, so anyway, there's a few of them out there that pretty sweet. You know, you could actually see what it's like to be there, you know, with Prabhupada on a daily basis. So, all right. Um, Self-conception. What is that? What is self-concept? What do I mean by that? So, uh, and I got this, uh, I was on this topic and then I read uh, a little something from Chaitanya Chalankaru, uh, which I like, I really like his take on Bhagavad Gita. <coughs> and so I put together this, I thought this would be a really good topic to talk about. So, uh, think about this, self-conception, how I see myself or how I don't see myself. Those th two things are happening at the same time. I'm seeing myself a certain way and I'm not seeing myself a certain way at the same time. So uh, let's talk about uh, being disrespected. Don't you hate that? Huh? Gosh, oh boy, how dare somebody. When others disrespect us, we naturally feel hurt, right? We feel hurt, we disrespected me. And so most of the time, or a lot of the time, we want to hurt them back. You hurt me, I hurt you. Huh? An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and a hurt for a hurt, heart for a heart. So, uh, this is very common in the, in the world. It's common amongst people, neighbors, co-workers, nations, political parties. It's just there in our face every day. You did this to me and I'm going to get you. You see, except when my feelings are hurt, I want to hurt you more than you hurt me. Just to even the score. As if that would even the score. But that's the way we, we think, right? So uh, we have that tendency. We want to strike back. I want to hit back harder than you hit me. Uh, 
So why are these different reactions to the same action? Because our varying self-conceptions. How we regard ourselves shapes the way we regard uh, our uh, others' actions to us. The way I think of me, I have a certain value. And so now that's going to govern how I react to you. You have no way of knowing how I value myself, do you? I mean, if somebody's really uptight about something about them, how do you know? So you may be, it's kind of like if you're going through, uh, uh, well, the Day of the Dead parade's coming up, and you're going to be in a crowd, right? So if you go through the crowd and you accidentally push somebody a little bit trying to get through, you didn't mean anything, did you? But that person may think, I don't like you doing that. And they read some uh, intent in it, you see, and they're offended. There's a lot of that going on in the world right now, isn't there? <laughs> I, don't, I think they pick on the millennials saying that they have a tendency to get offended very easily. So. Wow. Was that Norman Looney? Came <laughs> dropped off some Maha Prasad. Oh. Yeah. Should we pass it around? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll break it up a little bit. Now, who was that? That was Narayan Mori's disciple. That was oh, okay. <laughs> who was that masked man? <laughs> so, oh. Uh, when you're going through the crowd and you accidentally brush somebody a little harder than they wanted to be brushed, you didn't know that they were really picky about that, you know? So they may get very upset. Hey, you pushed me. And you may not have even known that you did it. I'm just trying to get over there to see Sergey, you know? Sergey's walking real fast. I can't catch up with him. Yeah, since according to time come to live with him, he's got all this energy. <laughs> you know, so I can't catch up with him. I'm just trying to get over there. Yeah, I know what you did. You did it on purpose. You're, you intentionally disrespected me. You know, so, and you hope they're not packing. <laughs> they may start squeezing them off at you. So, um, Disproportionate reactions to disrespect stem from deep-rooted inner insecurity. Deep-rooted inner insecurity. People are inner, inner uh, uh, innerly is not a word, is it? They're insecure internally. Internally. There you go. Thank you internally insecure but sometimes you can't tell that by looking at somebody because a lot of times they're trying to look pretty macho or sophisticated right so you don't think this guy's in, uh, immature or insecure so inner insecurity often comes from materialism or bodily conception i think i am my body i identify with my body therefore I am my social standing. I have a certain image of myself. 
I have my conception of myself, of who I think I am, and how I should be treated based on my body. Because I'm, if I was thinking of myself as a, an eternal spirit soul, I wouldn't be worried so much about that, right? So, inner insecurity comes from materialism. Now, this bodily consciousness makes our relationship with the world dependent on our social worth, how the world sees me. You see? See how twisted that is? I'm thinking that I am my self-conception. Why, I'm a, I'm a successful business person. I had one, this one guy got upset with me one time because he was a, a famous, I don't even remember who this guy was, he was a very famous uh, musician or something like that. And I don't remember what I did. I was in a crowd someplace or whatever. And he ended up saying to me, don't you know who I am? And I said, oh, I was at an airport. Yeah, I remember, yeah. And I said, I'm sorry, sir, I don't. Well, you know, he was really upset. I didn't know his social worth to him. You know, he had his own social worth. I didn't know who he was, and I still don't know. <laughs> but evidently, he was somebody very popular. He had a bodyguard with him, and he was, and, you know, it was just a bunch of people in a crowd trying to get on a plane, you know? So... Anyway, he was pretty sensitive about his fame. I, didn't I was so unkind, I didn't recognize it, you know. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so anyway, to counter this insecurity, we need more spiritual self-worth. So how do we get it? We've got to get over um, this social worth that we uh, uh, are led around, our imagination leads us around by our social worth, our attempt at being uh, worth a certain social value, you see. So we do that by somehow or other realizing, first and foremost, that we're not this body. We're not this body. So if I'm not this body, then what am I? And we've already touched on that, and we'll get back to that. But until I do that, I'm in trouble. I can't illustrate the difficulty that this is going to cause us if we cannot disconnect from this bodily consciousness. It's already caused us billions and billions of births of trouble, you see, this bodily consciousness. It's going to continue, and it might even get worse from time to time. It'll ruin your life. Now, some people, materialists, would argue, well, if I see myself as a successful businessman, then I have a, I'm more likely to succeed. All right, if you want to stay in that ocean of struggling to have a social worth and also a bigger bank account, struggling to be happy and have a, 
a more meaningful life, then I don't know if I can help you except to wish you well, see? And I hope that you don't suffer too much before you come to the realization. Typically, people turn to God when they're suffering. After enough suffering, people start to pursue spiritual life, you see? Typically, I'm sick and tired of this. There's gotta be something better. There's gotta be an answer. There's gotta be more than just accumulating more stuff, you see? So we're hoping that people don't have to suffer more and more and more before they say, enlighten me, help me, help me with this situation that I'm in. When they do that, we can help. What do we have to offer to help them? You ask? Yeah. What do you think? Spiritual knowledge. Spiritual knowledge. Well, what does that get us? Understanding of our actual true identity. Right. In other words, we can help them connect. Realize their connection. We can actually, we can do that. We've got to do it ourselves first. You see. If you're going to teach math... You need to learn math, right? If you're going to teach uh, Spanish, you need to learn Spanish. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just the way it works. So if you want to teach this connection soul to soul, you need to do it. And you can. Because you already are. You just have to clear up your consciousness. You have to clean house a little bit. Cheto Darpan Marjanam. Cleanse the mirror of the consciousness. You know, when a mirror is uh, covered with dust, it doesn't even function as a mirror. You can't see yourself in it. So we need to cleanse this mirror of our consciousness, cleanse the dust off of it. How do we do that? Well, we need to associate with people who are trying to do the same thing. Some of those people are going to have their mirror cleansed a little bit. Some of them, it's going to be cleansed a whole lot. And they have a process of cleansing this mirror. Uh, it's chanting Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. See, now we just cleansed away a little bit of the dust. So we need to do that every day. We need to do it a lot every day. We need to hear about Krishna consciousness a lot every day. So we, in other words, we can't, if we're going to be successful at this being able to connect with Guru and Krishna and all other living entities, then we're going to have to get serious. We're going to have to do it every day. So what happens is the mirror of your mind consciousness gets cleansed and now you can see properly, you know? You can actually see what's going on. So to a lot of people, they, they think, well, I'm not really looking for a religion where I have to do it every day. Who goes to church every day? You know? I'd rather find a religion where you don't go maybe once a week. 
Some people want to go on uh, what is it, Christmas and Easter. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I remember the, the church I went to when I was a kid. Um, Easter and Christmas were always the biggest attendance of the year. Is that true? That's still true. You know, so, you know, that's so that's what I want. You know, a couple of times a year, maybe once a month, special days, you know. And some people are so devout. I'll give you once a week, God. I'm really going to amp it up here once a week. Oh, unless there's Super Bowl. You know, no, World Series. No, nah, no, World Series. Nothing. But most of the time, every week, you can almost count on me being there. You see what I mean? I'll do my... So that's okay. A lot of people are... That's what I want to offer, you see. So for us to be able to achieve this sweetness of being able to connect... Uh, with God and to connect with everyone else we've got to train ourselves to do this we've got to think like that it's, it's got to be something it's got to be our objective and not just with the people that we like what if you what if you don't like someone should you try to connect with them think about that What if they belong to a political party that I don't like? Maybe they should just go to hell, right? They're bound for hell anyway. You see, if they voted for him or if they voted for her or if they believe in this, they believe in So there we are. See what happened? Our consciousness went right back to the social order a bodily designation. So we've got to pull away from it. It's like pulling away from Earth's gravity. We're orbiting. You got to get out of this gravitational hold. We got to see beyond that. If I'm going to deal with you as a soul, I've got to see you as a soul. I don't care who you vote for. I don't care what your silly position is on this politic or that politic. I mean, it's just like um, when I had kids. Well, I still have kids. They're all grown up now. Now I have adults. They're still like my kids, though. But I remember when they were young, they were coming to me dressed up in a certain way. And I said, Helen, what, what is this? I'm a, I'm a cowboy. That's cute. You know? I'm a soldier. You know? Or I'm a... The movie star, uh, there was this movie um, my daughters really got into, uh, Julia Roberts uh, was in this movie back in the 80s. Uh, Pretty Woman? Pretty Woman. <laughs> yeah. They loved it. They just loved it. They didn't understand what, the, what she was. You know, right. they, they didn't get that. But they just thought it was a... So they would come, I'm Julia Roberts. You know. So... And of course you look at, no, you're not, you know, this is silly, oh, wow, you look like a really good soldier, or you look just like Julia Roberts. (laughs) So, you know, I can play along, 
So this is the way we should be when someone comes up to you and they have some political belief. Oh, that's so cute. Yes. Oh, yes, you are. You're going to save the planet, aren't you? Oh, good for you. We all need the, We all know the planet's waiting for you and can't live without you. You know? Oh. So, some people would be hurt if they said, oh, I don't believe we should save the planet. Well, the planet's pretty capable of taking care of itself. Thank you. Uh, we, we're not going to be able to destroy this planet. You know, We might be able to make it to the point where we can't live here anymore. But that's not going to happen. And, you know, we've got a long way in Kaliuga, so... Uh, but it could get pretty bad. Some parts of the world are going to get are getting kind of yucky already. You know, with pollution and whatever. But um, it's like I've told people before when they want to, instead of finding out my position with the Supreme, I want to save the planet. Right. And I say, wait a minute. <laughs> save the planet without connecting with the Supreme, and then you die. Take another birth. You're going to have to save it again. <laughs> There's no guarantee that you're going to take your birth on this one. You may have to be on another planet, and you have to save it, you know. But you, but there is, trust me, there really is a great cleanup crew that comes and tidies up the material world once we're gone. You know, it's just, it'll start all over again. The end of Kali Yuga starts all over in Satyu. It'll be polished and pristine. Ready for us to mess it up at all? And then along we'll come and we'll do it again. You see? I'm not saying that we should litter and we shouldn't be conscious, but I mean to devote our lives to something that, you know, I've had people say that, uh, you know, oh, I'm glad I'm glad I'm alive because the planet needs me. Oh come on, you know, boy, what demigod are you? No, you need the planet. Without it, you're in trouble. So we need to tidy our consciousness up. So when someone is into some make-believe or, but to them it's serious. I shouldn't be so cruel as to say it's make-believe, but it kind of is. But when they're off on some tangent, politics or save the this or save the that, just go along. Oh, I think that's a wonderful cause. Now let's talk about this you that's gonna save everybody. Hmm. You see, let's keep trying to connect. You see, I mean, we need to connect. If you can connect with the Supreme as his, and have the awareness that you're his uh, eternal fragmental part, don't you think you're going to really do your best not to ruin the planet? Don't you think that would kind of go along with it? Well, it does. You see? Also, the way you treat animals, the way you treat women, the way you treat children, the way you treat... On and on and on. 
So first, I need you to get connected with the Supreme. And we're offering you here. That's here's the connection. Take take the hand here, and we'll we'll get connected to the Supreme. Then you're going to get all these wonderful things that you want to get of the world. Right now, you're just lost. And you have some ideas and idealistic things. But we can we can give you the real deal. If you're going to clean up the world or save the world, don't you think you need more potency than you have all by yourself? Maybe more potency than all of us have together? <clears throat> Maybe like the potency of the Supreme Lord? Wouldn't that kind of help you clean things up and stop this mistreatment and that? Wouldn't that kind of help? Yeah. I was thinking sometimes when people say that, I say, well, what about, you know, like Prabhupada would say, you know, what about, what about Krishna? How, about, how do you treat God? How like, what? Like, how do you treat God? Like, they, they want to treat the planet well. <clears throat> but what about, but what if your most important relationship in your life, you're disregarding that? What do you think about that? Well, look, first we need to clean up the air. And what about the global warming? And, 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 and. So in other words, the creator of all this can wait. Right? My eternal friend, Shuri Damsarvabhutana, my dear most friend and ever well-wisher, he can wait. This is, act, after all, this is kind of his turf, isn't it? I mean, this is his property. So if I say, you know, you, you wait, I'll have a relationship with you. Right now, I want to, I've laid proprietorship over this place. And I've taken the responsibility out of some ego that I'm going to, it's my duty to clean it up. Yeah. They want to water the leaves instead of the roots. Exactly. They're, they're, they're going to water the leaves and not water the root. You see? The intentions are very good. You see? I hope so. I hope nobody out there gets all angry. And, oh, how dare you say that? Are you against the planet? No, I'm not against the planet. I kind of like the place. You know, I really do. I get around it, you know. I've seen, I've seen more of it than just America. I've seen a lot of this place, and I like it. I really like America. America's a nice place. But there's a lot of nice places. So, I mean, i got to say, America's my favorite. All the countries I've seen. America still is my favorite. But I can understand why Shiva Bhakti Siddhanta wanted Prabhupada to start here in America. You know, whatever America does, the rest of the world's going to have a tendency to follow. So that's why Shiva Bhakti Siddhanta said, go to the West, starting in America. Well, that made a lot of sense. So Prabhupada was very, um, very endeared to America. That last year before he left, uh, he was very sick in Vrindavan. Uh, couldn't travel. He couldn't travel. He was bedridden. And he told Tamal Krishna Maharaj that I want to return to America one last time. I want to see her once again. And Tamal said, oh, but Prabhupada, you, that would 
kill you. The doctor said, no, no, Swami, that, that trip would kill you. You can't do it. So Tamal Krishna said, Prophet, why do you want to go to America again? This doesn't, this doesn't make sense. Prabhupada said, I owe her everything. America gave me her sons, her daughters, and her money. I couldn't, I couldn't have done this job. I couldn't have spread this movement without America. So just one last time I would like to see, just to go and offer my respects to America. You see? So off they went. They made the arrangement. Uh, but when he got to London, he broke his journey in London, he realized, I can't do this. I don't have enough health to do it. So he came, he went back to Kurdava. So, but he was really trying to come. So, so I say all that, I was remembering Prabhupada. So, uh, that we really like this place too. We like this planet, America, you see? So we're not against cleaning it up, keeping it clean. We're not against that. But if we're going to be effective, then we need to give God consciousness to people. We've got to spread this, this realization. So let me read a verse um, that kind of describes people who are in this type of consciousness, this uh, self-absorbed, too absorbed in their self-conception. Uh, Bhagavad Gita, 16th chapter, 4th verse. Dambodarpo bhiminas cha krodaha parasham evacha agyanam chavi jatasya partas sampadam ashuti. Krishna says pride, arrogance, conceit, anger, harshness, and ignorance. These qualities belong to those of demonic nature, the son of Prita. So, pride, this pride in my self-image, you know, that... Pride that gets injured and causes me to get really angry at you because you didn't give me proper respect. Arrogance, just pride and arrogance go hand in hand, you know. Conceit, there's another friend of pride and arrogance, conceit. And anger, typically people who are proud and conceited, they get angry real fast, you know, easily angered. And harshness and ignorance, yeah, these all walk together, don't they? Krishna says these qualities belong to those of demoniac nature, or son of Prita. Now, let me point out something before I go any further. Just because someone has a demoniac thought or performs a demoniac action, does that mean that they're a demon? No. no. It means they're having a demoniac moment. <laughs> right? Yeah. They may be a good guy. 
when we see people, good guys, good, good ladies, good people, all the time that are just, they have a bad moment. All right? So, but what about somebody who has these moments a lot? Then you're getting more and more demonic. Right now, how much, how many, how much of your time do you have to spend having demoniac moments before you're really just a demon? Think about that. Yeah. All of it. Huh? All of it. All of it. You don't, you don't surrender unto the mercy of God, and therefore, you don't waste your entire lifetime doing that. You've wasted the whole thing. Because of you, your self-conception and trying to prove to the world your position. I want the world to know that I'm for cleaning things up. That's my image to the world and you better appreciate it. Or you're one of those bad people. You know, the other party... Whichever one. Who's the, who are the good guys? You know? Come on. If, some, if somebody believes there's some good guys and bad guys out there, come on. See? Some are better than the others at one moment, and then the others are better than them at another moment. And so we kind of need both of those opinions, really. So. Did you have a question? I did. Oh, uh, can you be um, transcendentally proud? So like proud that you're Krishna's devotee? Yeah. Uh, but it takes a different form. Uh, it's more of a happiness. And, and, and it'll, rather than a pride, it'll be more gratitude. You see? That pride will manifest in gratitude. See, people even interchange the term sometimes. Like you know, I'm 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 proud to have served with such great people. Well, what they read between those lines, I'm grateful that I served with such great people in the war or the this or that or spreading this movement. You know. So with the material conception, I'm proud of me. I'm proud. So that self-pride is kind of, you know, it's kind of, kind of a yucky taste to it. The people, what about being proud of the people around you? As guru, you can easily be very proud of your disciples. But it's really gratitude. Pride and gratitude mixed together. You see? Yeah. I uh, just remember the story Prabhupada, I believe Prabhupada told about his father. And um, I think he was using it in reference to having trust in God. And they, they're going to get into a bus or something. And so like, Prabhupada has a little boy who steps forward. And uh, the uh, attendant was like, Do you have your ticket? And he said, I'm with my father. <laughs> like, very, like, proud away. Like, I have nothing to be worried about. Yeah. <laughs> so his father came. So he said, similarly, we, we have that connection to God. Yeah. <laughs> what a super um, 
uh, analogy, you know, complete confidence. I'm with my father, you know. So we should feel that way. I'm with my guru. I'm with Krishna. I'm, I'm connected. How am I connected? You're connected too. But I just realized it. You're thinking you have to take the responsibility to save the planet. I'm realizing that I'm connected with the creator of the planet. Who's the only one that can save it? And when will I save the planet? When he instructs me to. If he says, all right, I want you to drop everything, all my devotees go out and, and take care, we're going to save Die. Yeah. Have you heard that saying that says, like, when I was, when I was wise, I wanted to save the planet, but when I became a little bit more wise, I realized that I need, I need. Anyways, the, the the gist of it is that ultimately you end up realizing that the only thing you can change is yourself. I've heard that. You, you know that saying. Yeah. I don't remember it, but yeah. it's, it's... I thought I would be clever and save the world, and then I became wise and saved, and saved myself. I turned in work to save myself. Right. right. Yeah. And once you've saved yourself, man, you can go a long way in saving the rest of the world. Yeah. yeah. You can go a long way. But until you do, it's like if you're drowning. If we're, if we're in the water and we're drowning, I can't save you no matter how much I want. But if I can get my foot on some stable ground or something, or grab hold of a boat or something, once I'm saved, I can save you. I can hear, give me, give me your hand. But until that time, we're both in trouble. So, does that make any sense? Yeah. So this pride, arrogance, conceit, anger, harshness, and ignorance. Wow. Harshness. Harshness. We don't, want to be, we don't want to be harsh. You know, what makes somebody be harsh? What's impatience? Huh? Impatience. Impatience. Hmm. Yeah. So let's back up. I'm having trouble with my self-conception. You see? I have some inner um, insecurities. So therefore, I think I have to deal with you in an overly harsh manner. You see? Maybe sometimes we see people correcting people and they're overly harsh. That means for that moment, it doesn't mean they're a broken person, but they're having a broken moment. Right? doesn't mean they're bad. They had a really bad moment. You know? Uh, somebody just barks an order at you for whatever, you know. Don't do that like that. You know? What's this harshness from? Oh, I get it. You're feeling love of Godhead. And you're giving it to me. You see? Now, there are times that we have to say something uh, quick, and it might come off harsh, you know. Um, I'm trying to think of one right now. Some, in the case there's an emergency, you know. 
Uh, Turn off that fan, hurry. Well, I don't think I like your tone. Hurry, come on, it's gonna, you're, something is gonna happen. This is quick, we need to do this. Uh, there's some fire. Hand me that water. I don't think I like the way you said that. No, really, I need See, what I, so there are times when there's an emergent, I need to stop what you're doing, hand me that, quick. But if it's just because I want to just hammer you with it, I'm broken. I'm having a broken moment, you know. So that we should look back at them and say, I'm not offended. You didn't, you know, your inner security didn't set off my inner security. <laughs> so I realize you're having a broken moment. I, on the other hand, am not. <laughs> so you, I refuse to have a broken moment right now. You're in this all by yourself. Now you may not say that to them because they may get even more broken. How dare you talk to me that way? You know. So you just might say, okay. You know, that's that's the way I like to deal with people that are stubborn. Sometimes you get people that are so stubborn, you could tell them two plus two is four, and they'll argue with you on things like that, things that are so obvious, and they'll argue. And you, I just say, okay. You know, it's like, I, don't, I can't think of anything, but sometimes I tell people, you know, if you do, if you do it like that, it's not going to work right. Well, I don't know, blah, blah, blah. Well, okay. <laughs> if you're that stubborn, then you'll learn. So we're well, obviously it's not going to be right now, but you'll learn. So somebody's having a harsh, broken moment. Okay. But in your mind, you could be thinking, you know, you're in this by yourself. You know, you're not gonna, I'm not going to let your uh, problem become my problem. In that, I'm not going to let your being broken in a broken moment give me a broken moment. I want to stay connected to Guru and Krishna. Does that make any sense? So what else? Have we got time to read a little bit more? I like the way Prabhupada starts out this purport. People who behave, like we've, anger, conceit, harshness, pride, you know. Prabhupada says, in this verse, the royal road to hell is described. <laughs> That's Prabhupada's words. That's, That's the purport. <laughs> Pride, arrogance, conceit, anger, harshness, and ignorance. These qualities belong to those of demonic nature, O son of Krita. That's Krishna saying that. Prabhupada says, in this verse, I can just see Prabhupada saying this. In this verse, the royal road to hell is described. <laughs> if you behave like that, you're going to live in a hellish world. The, the, the demoniac want to make a show of religion and advancement in spiritual science, although they do not follow the principles. 
This means beyond the regulative principles. Principles of how do I respect you as a part and parcel of Krishna? How do I deal with you as an eternal fragmental part of Krishna? There is a principle there. And you can't break that. Or if you do, you're having a broken moment. If you do that enough, you're a broken person. You see? Does that make any sense? Prabhupada goes on. Uh, they are always arrogant or proud in possessing some type of education or so much wealth. People are proud about their education and their wealth and their, their social worth. My car, my house. <clears throat> some people with their spouse. I've known people who get wealthy and they get a better car and better house and younger wife. <laughs> Upgrade everything, you know. It's all material. But I thought you would. Yeah, I did. I still do kind of. But anyway, uh, got another one here, you know. This is going on. I'm not making, am I making this up? It goes on all the time. They desire to be worshipped by others and demand respectability, although they do not command respect. People want respect. Well, there's a difference of demanding respect and commanding. Commanding respect means you're, just, you're a respectable person. But if you go around thinking, I'm a respectable person, then I kind of question whether you might be, actually. You see what I mean? Don't think of yourself as a respectable person. Be a respectable person. Just do it. You see? And if somebody says, well, I think you're this or that, just, well, you're entitled to your opinion. I think I'm okay. I'm following my guru's instructions. He seems pleased. So therefore, I know Krishna's pleased. And I may not be doing the best. There's many people who do it better uh, than I do. However, Guru said, I, I've got my Guru's blessings. What more can I ask for? Do I get your respect too? That's up to you. you know? The devotee doesn't really like that. Doesn't uh, aspire for respect. When they do, they're having a broken moment. Doesn't mean they're broken. They're having a broken moment. You see? Although a devotee may uh, try to get you to show more respect for another devotee, that's fair. That's being proper. But to demand more respect for yourself, that's kind of broken. Uh, over trifles, they become very angry and speak harshly and not gently. This is Prabhupada's purport. Over trifles, they get harsh and not gentle. They do not know what should be done and what should not be done. They do everything whimsically according to their own desire, and they do not recognize any authority. 
so many people don't recognize any authority. You know, that's kind of like in material life, uh, I only recognize you in as an authority if you outrank me in the Air Force or in the Armed Forces, or if you could fire me. Other than that, who do you think you are? There's an attitude, isn't it like that? A lot of people have that attitude. Who do you think you are? You see? So, you know, accept any authority. These de demoniac qualities are taken on by them from the beginning of their bodies in the wombs of their mothers. And as they grow, they manifest all these inauspicious qualities. Wow, what's Prabhupada saying there? In other words, karma came with you into the womb from the past life. You were like this before, which so many people are in our world. So even death and rebirth doesn't cleanse that out of you. Let me read that again. Prabhupada says, these demonic qualities are taken on by them from the beginning of their bodies in the wombs of their mothers. And as they grow, they manifest all these inauspicious qualities because it's a very contaminated world, very contaminated uh, consciousness. Prophet said everything in Kali Yuga is contaminated. You see, I mean, we have more luxury, more physical comforts, better cars. You see, we have all this stuff, but it's a very contaminated world. You see, the threat of war isn't any less now than it was 100 years ago, 200 years ago. <clears throat> we haven't, what have we, what have we accomplished in that safety of the world? Cars are safer than they were in the beginning. You know. But 200 years ago, people, how many people died from automobile accidents? <laughs> Nobody. So, so has the world become a safer place? It's not, it's not in, there's still uh, this problem. The first problem we, that we face is birth. Then there's gonna be the threat of disease, and then old age, and then death. And if somewhere in between birth and death we don't get our consciousness straight, there's gonna be another birth. Oh, it's just like it never ends, you see. So somehow or other, we need to connect. We need this connection to get off this merry-go-round and stop this uh, consciousness that we've developed. So even if we don't make it out in this lifetime, which we very easily can, we can go back to Godhead this very lifetime. One more death, that's it. We can do this. Let's, let's say it properly. We should do this. You will do it. 
unless you screw it up. But you will. You see? It's like if you're gonna uh, if you're gonna drive down the street, you will stay between the lines, won't you? Unless you screw up into driving to a ditch. You see what I mean? You you we it's all set up for us to make our escape from this material world. Krishna is there. Through Guru and Krishna, Guru, Sadhu, and Sastra, we have the opportunity to stop this cycle of birth and death. And we should do it. It's not like, well, I don't know if we... No, yeah, you can do this. It's, unless you have lack of faith in the process or lack of faith in God, why can't you do it? Why can't you escape this? You can. So have faith in yourself. Have confidence in yourself that you can. Why should you have confidence in yourself? What's so special about you? Bhagavad Gita, 15th chapter, 7th verse. I've, I've recited this verse so many times. And on this tour, I, I was saying it over and over and over. It, sa it says it all. Krishna says, the living entities in this conditioned world are eternal, uh, are my eternal fragmental parts. Due to conditioned life, they're struggling very hard with the six senses, which include the mind. You gotta keep reminding yourself. I am eternally, I always have been, I currently am, and I always will be a fragmental part of Krishna. Fragmental meaning that we're never gonna join together. <laughs> like dropping a drop of water into a bigger body of water. Krishna says we're eternally fragmental. We're not going to merge. So that's, Krishna just pushed, he, he, he gets rid of that theory right away. So if you are, if you believe that, so then you are a part and parcel already. You are. You just have to learn uh, how to behave like a part parcel of God. And you and you can do it. It's your nature. <clears throat> yeah. You know, I really like what you said there about the, the point that you made before that about um, how, you know, everything's set up for us to go back home. I think about this analogy because a lot of times when people say, unless you screw it up, a lot of times people, what people think is like, you missed the mark or something. Krishna's holding it against you. He's tallying up all the mistakes that you've made and because you've made all these mistakes, well, Krishna's not gonna let you in. But it's really, if you think about it, what it's really look, what it really looks more like, it's like, it's like, re, it's like rehearsal. It's like, it's like when you think of, if, you, if you're a musician or if you've ever been into music, you understand it. There's no way that you can put on the big show if you don't rehearse. It's right. just not possible. Right. So it's like, if you're a musician, you know I gotta rehearse day and night, and then one day I can headline. I can headline, I can, I can be a part of that big show. One day I'm gonna have to do it. I'm gonna right. have to perform. Right. But today I'm gonna rehearse. Right. So this is like, you know, we're in rehearsal right now, essentially. Well, actually, we are and we aren't. I agree and disagree at the same time. We're live. We're live. 
this isn't rehearsal. We're live. We're doing it. Now, we can say, well, I'm practicing. Practice makes perfect. Yeah. But we're actually doing it. We're live. Yeah. So, but the, it's all a setup. Krishna has got it all set up. So it will happen. Only you can goof it up. This is, uh, I was reading today about a discussion by Lord Brahma and uh, Narada Muni about this month of Karti. And Lord Brahma was saying that Krishna says that one who offers me a ghee lamp on the full moon of Karti, I owe him so much that my bank account can't cover it. So I have to give him me. Now think about that. Krishna says, if you just offer me a ghee lamp on the full moon of Karti, that's a debt that I can't pay. So I have to give you me as your, like an indentured servant. That's yours, it's there. And another one, uh, can't remember the exact words, just offering a ghee lamp in this month of Karti. Uh, how does it go? I put it on my Facebook. Removes all the sins in the three worlds. Or Remember, like is, is enough to remove all the sins in the three worlds. Yeah, it's a Lord's station. So one thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so don't tell me we can't do this. The door is really open. I mean, Krishna has really got it set up for you. You know, I mean, we'll, we're going to have to steer it into the ditch not to make it out of here. You see, it's, <laughs> see how eager Krishna is for us to succeed? He is so eager. Come on, come on. I had this realization the other day, too, the reason why, you know, because, you know, we do a lot of things and, and throughout the scriptures, you know, Krishna's always saying, if you do this or if you read till the end of this and all your sins are removed, or you know, there's, there's like a, a lot of that. And I'm wondering, like, God, how much... How much sin must we have if, like, all these little things... Like, Krishna's always doing all these little things to remove our sins. Look and, at the setup that he has. Right, and then I was wondering the other day, I'm like, okay, so why so much? And then, why, why? And then I realized it's it's because we're always goofing it up. It's because we're always goofing it up, and Krishna knows that. But yet, he's always doing things to counteract our mistakes. Every time we make a mistake, he's always doing things or allowing things to happen so that we can, again... Get back on the path. You know, we derailed. Okay, we get back on the tracks. Keep going. He, and he has so many yeah. things that... If you just follow an Akashi, yeah. Yeah. it's amazing. Have you read what happens the, the, if you follow it? And every one of these Akashis, the story that Krishna's telling, you just hear Maharaj about these different... You just hear wanting to know about the different Akashis, so Krishna's telling them. And every one of them, he says, is the greatest. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, if you do this, if you follow them, then you, all your sins, and uh, this is the greatest ecology. Yeah. And then Yudhisthira says, well, what about the next? E well, if you do this, and this was the greatest. Yeah. <laughs> so only Krishna can say that. If it was anybody else, well, it can't work. But now Krishna says, no, they're... 
If you just water a Tulsi plant, Sarcomanolite Tulsi, all your sins are gone, even if you had killed a Brahmin. Well, they do that every day in the temple. <laughs> you see what I mean? So you can see, boy, Krishna is really working overtime here. He's bending over backwards to, to so that's why I say, yes, we can get out of here. Can, should, will, unless you steer it intentionally into the ditch. It's the only way you can derail it yourself. So once you've touched this bhakti yoga, it's like I was telling this one person, I forget who it was, uh, somebody along the way, I was telling them, uh, they had this realization that you're at the end of your, your journey. It's like I went on this tour, two-month tour, and I ended up in El Paso, and I realized this is my last program of my tour. From here, I go back to Tucson. I'm at the end of the journey. That's where you are right now in your trek through this material world. Billions and trillions of births, you're at the end. The curtain's about to close on this story of your trip away from Krishna through the material world. It's over. The cleanup crew is about ready to come in and clean up the theater because your act is over. You've touched this bhakti yoga. You found the holy name. You're out of here. You can even try to derail it. And you might even buy another life or two. If you really want to stay. But you're out of here. You're finished. Just have that confidence. All I have to do is keep on keeping on what I'm doing. We're finished. We're going home. You know, it's like... Uh, Soldiers, you know, that are in wartime and you get your, uh, what do they call it? When you, when you get mustered out. Oh, yes. You know, you get, you get your papers. Hey, guess what? I'm going home. Yeah. Pack your gear. Get on that plane. You're stateside. Well, I don't know. I really kind of like battle. <laughs> I like seeing people getting killed and suffering and everything. Nah, pack your gear, get on that plane. You see, that's where you are. The war's over. This is fit. You're finished. It's time to go. Time to go home. So somehow or other, um, you've arrived at this position. Now, is it by something that we did? Maybe we did some really fancy, pious activities. But really, it's just the mercy of the devotees. Krishna has reached out through his devotees. By the mercy of the devotee, he can connect you to Krishna. You can skip around all of this Ashtanga Yoga, uh, uh, all of your... Uh, yoga. Yeah, you, I mean, you can... Uh, what is it? Um, I can't think, can't think of the name. Krishna says, uh, abandon all forms of religion. Uh, 
you can you can skip around all dharma, all religion. You get to go cut at the front of the line. <clears throat> Connect. You can. You. This is what uh, the devotee is offering. Come, connect directly to Krishna through your consciousness. You're already connected. Your eternally is fragmental part. But you can realize that. So sometimes we don't want to realize that because it changes a lot of things. When I realize that I am and always have been connected to, to Krishna, wow, that's kind of scary, you know? You know? if I'm still attached to the goings and comings of this material world. Harshness, pride, arrogance, deceit. Yeah. So those attachments that you're talking about right now, um, so let's say by some mercy I get to go back to Krishna after this lifetime, but I still I sense in myself so, so much of that attachment still. What's going to happen to that tendency of mine when I go back to God? What's It'll burn out. It'll burn out. That attachment burns away. The, the, the more you feel that connection to Krishna, uh, the more that attachment just... Uh, it, it, you lose any attraction to it. The attachment will turn... What's the opposite of attachment? Uh, detachment. Yeah, detachment. But even repulsive. You know, after after this after death, no, even before, before before death, long before. I feel like I'm going the other way. I'm getting worse. So so what's like if I that's I'm just <clears throat> saying I can't imagine you know ending up in in this lifetime being free of all my attachments. I, I just can't imagine that. I don't know. It just doesn't seem possible in being in an environment of Maya. So I'm just wondering whatever remnants of attachments there are. What happens? They'll get all singed and burned up as you become more and more attached to Krishna. It changes really. I'll give let me give you a for instance. Uh, not so much anymore. A lot of people that become devotees now are already vegetarians or, or vegans. You know. But there was a time way back in the last century <laughs> when Almost 100% of the people who joined were meat eaters. I'd say most of us in this room were at one time meat eaters, right? So, uh, but most of the people used to be, they were attached to eating meat. They were really attached. And then after practicing Krishna consciousness for some time, they became detached. Then they become repulsed by it. Why the very thing that you used to think was really great, you're like, you? So these attachments, they, they have a way of fizzling, you know? But you gotta get a higher and higher taste. And you don't have to struggle to get that higher taste. It's not like you have to work, 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 work. You know, some people would like to make you think it's the extreme penance and austerity. No, it's not. Just chant Hare Krishna, associate with the devotees, take prasadam. You see, taste Krishna consciousness. Just taste it. You don't have to work, work, work. It'll happen. It'll happen. 
you know, it will. Yeah. I had a thought too that sometimes before things get better, they seem to get worse. Too. That's a good point. So don't judge it prematurely. Yeah. It's not uncommon though what you're saying. As you it start, could just be more awareness also. Huh? It could be more awareness also. It could be. And sometimes when you start to, uh, it's like Prophet once said, when you declare war on Maya, she declares war on you. It's kind of like Maya says, you're going to what? You're going to be Krishna conscious? You're going to shun my attraction, my allurement? How dare you try that? Well, let me just make it a little bit more attractive. <laughs> and there can be a struggle, you know, for myases. But if, if you get your sincerity to the right point, Krishna says to Maya, that's okay, you, you step aside. You're finished with this one. This one's mine. I will tempt from here on out, personally. Not Maya, Krishna's. It's a different kind of temptation because Krishna tests because he doesn't give you a test that that uh, that you can't pass and he's encouraging you to pass it's like a training you know like soldiers go through basic training so Krishna's training you and and he's tasting that love he's and you may have some uh, Unfortunate setback, but it's just a speed bump. It's a little, you know, it's not a big deal. This is, you know, so, well, Krishna will, and it's a way of making you stronger. And he just likes to taste your attract your attraction to him. When there's no attraction to Krishna, then you're Maya's. You belong to her. She can have her uh, her, her field day with you attract this, control that. Because you're not going towards Krishna. You're not looking for Krishna. You're following your own rules. You know? So then you're in the lap of Maya. Then you say, well, I think I want Krishna. And if you feel that, even a little bit sincerity, Krishna says, okay, that's a game changer. All right, so we're going to play differently. So I will attract you. And then I'll test you also. But he's not, he won't try to trip you up. He doesn't try that. I mean, like us, this is the guy who sets up this month of Karti. <laughs> just offer a lamp. You know, just walk around a Tulsi plant. Just just follow Ikadashi, just Chanari Krishna. I mean, it's just like on and on and on. He gives you this process that's that's like foolproof. But you can goof it up if you want to, or you, you know, you can cause yourself a setback. Nothing to, you know, it's not a big deal, these little setbacks, speed bump, you know. Okay, anything else? It's not like you're even asking to, I enjoy all these things, 
and I derive a sense of pleasure from them. I'm just going to quit cold turkey for no reason. Yeah, you don't have to do that. You re a, a good example, if you've ever been around children, all right, uh, you have a, a child, a young toddler, and they get something that's maybe you don't want them to have. It's either breakable or dangerous to them. If you just take it away, <laughs> so what you've got to do is you take it away and you give them something else real quick. They go, <laughs> so that's what we're doing. We're replacing. It's not like you go into a void. Some people would like you to believe that you're going to go and you give it all up. Well, rather than give it up, why don't you replace it with something? Or just take on so much positive that it pushes the negative out. If you hear enough Krishna consciousness, <clears throat> the nonsense will leave. You'll hear enough of the truth and you'll find yourself about to vibrate something that's nonsense and you'll think, that's not even true. I used to say that. I used to feel that way. Duh, I don't feel that way anymore. You know? So if you hear enough, if you get enough in, it's like Gurjan Prabhu used to say, if you put enough garbage in your head, garbage starts coming out your mouth. So if you hear enough nonsense, you talk nonsense. But if you put enough Krishna consciousness in your mind, then it starts coming out your mouth. You have to just don't let it in. Don't let the nonsense in. As much as you can. All right. What do you think, Chaitanya Lila? <laughs> if you insist, I'll eat. All right. Thank you all so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.